Tonight, we start a new series um, called First Things, and um, this series is kind of like a survey um, or a primer of the primary ideas around the Christian life. There are many important things in our life of, uh, with Christ, but what are the, like the first things or the primary things that inform all the other very important things? And that's what this series is about. So um, what we'll be doing also is we'll be putting out material for all of our community groups throughout this series that will be text-based study material. So if you're studying something in your community group right now, uh, something else, something extracurricular, we would invite you to consider pausing to follow along in this series. Um, new material will be coming out every week following along in this series. Tonight, our first topic is the topic of faith. So if you please, if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews 11. If you don't, you very much need a Bible tonight. I'm going to read all, pretty much all of Hebrews 11 to you, and it's not going to be on the screen. So you might want to follow along. And I might, I'm going to skip around a bit. So uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring one to you. There's some in the back of the pews. Um, you, you might have brought your Bible, a physical Bible, which if you did, gosh, I love you. That's awesome. I love, I love seeing people bringing Bibles to church. Um, or you can turn your device. I guess that counts or whatever. Um, I don't know. I'll ask God about it. I don't, I don't know if it counts. But um, no, it does. I'm just joking. Or if you have Hebrews 11 memorized, that's even extra points there. Uh, lastly, to start off our year, uh, our new year, uh, I would like you one last time to stand with me as we pray this prayer of faith together. It's on the screen. So one last time. I know you just got comfortable. Sorry. Just stand with me. If you want to take it an, uh, another level, you, if you want to just open your hands to God like this, and let's say this prayer out loud together, and then I'll pray for us. It's on the screen. It goes like this. Let's pray this together. What we know not, may you teach us. What we have not, may you give us. What we are not, may you make us. In Christ's name, amen. Lord, this is our prayer this evening as we turn to the scriptures, as we look forward to a new year. These things, Lord, we're asking you to do in us, in this church community, in our lives personally. And we come under the inspiration, the authority of the scriptures. We thank you. What a gift that we have um, a text like Hebrews 11. Help uh, us to understand it. Teach us, God, and um, help us to respond rightly to it. Anoint me tonight. I submit all of my capacities to you. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. So faith is not something that you do one time at the beginning of becoming a Christian. Faith is not something like, yeah, I have faith. I want, I want to receive Christ. It, faith doesn't just stop there. Faith in God carries you through your entire life with God, through every valley that you would go through in life, through every mountaintop you'd go through. It's what Jesus seemed to be most impressed by when he walked this earth and did ministry. I mean, he was really impressed by some people's faith. He would see their faith and he would be like, whoa, I've never seen faith like this ever. Um, he would say this to Roman centurions, to uh, women that were outside the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith. He would say this to people inside the Jewish faith. Like, he would, he would stop people who were healed that were trying to like, get a drive-by healing from Jesus. And he stopped him. like, no, no, I want you to know, your faith has made you well. Not some hocus-pocus, like real, your faith made you well. And there are other times, the thing that got Jesus, like, the angriest is when people had a lack of faith. 
As we'll read tonight in our text, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. But faith is a hard thing to hold on to. Faith is a hard thing to have, especially when fear kicks in or you have been braided with bad thing after bad thing happening in your life. Maybe your, 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 your 2017 was like that. And faith does not come easy. I think of my friend Candace, who's on our prayer team here at church. And I've known her actually since, she's been in, uh, since she was in junior high. She was in my, like in my youth ministry. And she lived through some hard stuff in her life. And a few years ago, um, she came back to faith and has a really robust faith in, in Jesus. And then she just lived through one of the most extremely hard, hardest years of her life last year. And it, it ended. And I remember just even sitting with her like three weeks ago in my office. And we were, uh, we were just sitting there and trying to both discern what God might be up to in the midst of all her hardship. And then during the last week of the year, um, she breaks her back. She broke her, she broke her back. After all that, she thought she was paralyzed. She's not, thank God. She's laying on the ground like, God, this, is, this can't be happening. After all of this, then this. When, when situations in life happen where you start to feel like, a jo- like Job a little bit, like, I kind of feel like Job right now. How do you keep faith in the middle of that? There's a famous story of Horatio Spafford who invested his life in real estate in Chicago in the 1800s. And then he lost everything in the great Chicago fire of 1871. And it destroyed his home. He had no insurance. He lost his all, like pretty much all his money. And just a year before that, he lost his infant son to scarlet fever. And after the fire, he put his wife and four daughters, daughters on a ship heading to England um, as he stayed behind to try to salvage his business. And a few days after the ship with his four daughters and wife departed, he got a telegram from his wife, and it said, uh, saved alone, what shall I do? There had been a shipwreck, and all four of his daughters perished. And Horatio quickly boarded another ship to England, and as it passed over the very same place in the ocean where his daughters had drowned, he wrote these words. He actually wrote this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That line, thou hast taught me to say. How do you learn faith like this? Faith that can make it through and hang on to God when it doesn't feel like God's hanging on to you. Like how do you learn that? How do you, how do you learn to say this? This is what the author of Hebrews is trying to teach his audience in our text today. This community is going through extreme hardship as a community. And it seems, if you actually gather context, and we will in a second, we'll actually look at chapter 10 first, and it seems that for a time, this young community had hope and courage. They had just believed in Christ and trusted in Jesus. And when they did, they were able to almost face any hardship. Like, I I don't know if you could tap in, maybe you're here now, but you might be able to tap into when you first became a Christian. You first, you first were enlightened and saw Jesus and like God is real and something bad would happen and it would almost like roll off your back like I can deal with this, like I know God, that sort of thing. Maybe you're there right now, which if you're there right now, it needs to rub off on people that have been walking with Jesus for a long time because that, that sometimes is hard to recapture. And, and they had this, the Hebrew people had this, the, the, Hebrew, the, the Hebrew community here um, had this sort of faith. They would go through extreme hardship but then what happened is hardship after hardship, after hardship, after hardship, wore them down, and they couldn't, they, they couldn't take it anymore. And look at what happens actually in chapter 10. Look at verse 32 first. Verse 32, the writer says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you first became a Christian? 
when you endured in a, uh, in a great conflict of, full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood, by, uh, stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Oh gosh, that's such a beautiful, this community had this, at once had this like really young zeal for God, that, that young faith in God that can withstand even the loss of their property, the insults of their peers, and they, they were going through all this stuff as a community, and like, we can take this, take all our stuff, our treasure is in heaven, like this sort of thing was happening to them, but I don't know, months went on, maybe years went on, and it wore them down. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been there, like, like, you can handle one thing, but eight things, the tenth thing, the sixth year, like it wears you down. I mean, maybe it might not be this extreme, but you get this a little bit. Like you were being faithful to God in your romantic life. Maybe there was a time where you were like, I'm just going to spend time with God. I'll, I'll, even, I'll, I'll even just date Jesus, me and Jesus, that's it. But now it's, now it's really boring. And now it's wearing you down. Now you're like, I don't know if I keep doing this. Like this was, that was really cool for the first like month. I was really, it was really cool to just be with Jesus for the first month. But now it's just getting tiring. Maybe you were very committed to serving the poor, not just advocating for them, but getting to know them. But you find that takes so much time and investment, it's hard to see the point because the city just keeps moving the homeless community around, and you don't get to know them really, so you stop. Uh, my wife and I felt like this. A year ago, we committed to just start feeding and knowing the homeless um, community in our neighborhood. And it was a beautiful thing, and it still is a beautiful thing. Um, after a few months, just knowing them, praying for them, uh, knowing their name, going to try to see them, and then the city keeps moving them around. You can't find them, and they're scattered, and you don't know. And it's really hard to endure. It's really hard to keep doing that. Like, like am I even doing anything? Um, or maybe you were committed to cultivating a really good and deep relationship with your spouse, but it's way too hard to try to understand and be understood by another person, especially when you live with, ironically, so you just go back to being distant and comforting yourself with your fantasy life, whatever that entails. I mean, it's really hard to stay faithful. It's really hard to commit to something and to go, I'm going I'm to be faithful to this because God's called me to this. It's, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be faithful in my pursuit of becoming like Jesus. I'm going to be faithful there. It's hard to stay faithful. And so the writer to the Hebrews says this in verse 35. I know it's hard, guys. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. For just in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then he says, but we are not. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. See what the author is doing here. He's saying, don't give up which is the first clue into what faith is, I think. Faith is a, has an enduring quality to it. Faith that is faithful in, in like a, for a month and then is not faithful anymore isn't faith. Faith has this enduring quality to where you keep on believing. The author is also setting up chapter 11, which is like a biblical theology or a biblical tour of, of, of people in the Old Testament who are faith-filled people. So let's read it together. So I'm going to read a lot of this. So um, if you haven't read the Bible yet this year, you're going to get the full, your full dose of, of vitamins today. Here it is. Um, 
Hebrews 11. I'm gonna, I'll skip around a little bit, but just follow along with me. This is a, an amazing chapter, okay? Um, verse 1. Remember, he says, we do not belong to those who shrink back or destroy, but those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence and what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for, and he'll, he'll talk about these ancients here. By faith, we understand that the universe was framed or formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what, is, what was visible. By faith, Abel, he's going all the way to Genesis here, the very beginning of Genesis, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch, when he was, he was taken from his, this life so that he did not experience death, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And by faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Now, he's in a camp here for a second because Abraham's a father of faith. We all know this, right? So he, he, he actually spends a while with Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went. By faith, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. That's faith. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. That's faith. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, his wife, who was past childbearing age, she was old, was enabled to bear children because she, was considered, she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and this is how he describes Abraham as being old. He says, in this one man, and he as good as dead. That's awesome. That's not a way that you talk about the elderly, by the way. But this is what, he, this is what the author said. From this one man, and he's just super old and almost dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people are still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. This world's not our home. If, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Skip down to verse 24. He talks about um, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. But then he gets to Moses, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded a disgrace for the sake of Christ as far greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He he uh, persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn were not touched the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall we say? He's like, okay, I, I, I didn't even get past, past Genesis. So um, 
I don't even, he was, I don't even know, I, I, that was just basically pretty much the first cup, that's just the Torah. I don't even have time, I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and that guy, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, and I love that, he just starts spitballing here, right? He, he's reading this, he's, he's recalling all the people of faith, he's like, oh, okay, I ran out of time. I'm running out of my hands hurting from writing this thing. Um, I, don't have, I don't have time to, to talk about the people who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery, the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in shepherd, uh, sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. Verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Look at verse 12, chapter 12. Therefore, since this, this is our lineage, since this is where we came from, guys, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Gosh, that is such a beautiful section of Scripture. So what do we learn? What do we learn about faith from this chapter? And a little pre-work and post-work there. But what do we learn about faith in this chapter? So three things we learn about what faith is and what faith is not. What faith is and what faith is not. Now, I'll start with the negative one first, um, and then I'll give you the positive. I'll show you this is what faith is not according to this um, chapter, and then, but this is what faith is, okay? So number one, what faith is not. Faith is not just what you believe. Faith is not just what you believe. Now, before you get mad, I, just listen to this whole point, okay? Right beliefs are important. What we believe about creation and humanity and sin and salvation and the redemption of all things is very, very important. But faith is not so much defined by what we believe, but in whom we trust. And there is a difference there. Faith is not a what word. Faith is a who word. It's very easy to keep God at a distance with trying to have all the right beliefs about God. But life of faith is a life in relationship with the living God, with the who that is God. As we saw, the author spends a lot of time camping on Abraham, the father of our faith, the father of faith. And here's why. God appears to Abraham in a vision. This no Bible was written, right? Abraham is just outside, and he has this vision. Uh, I don't know what that, what that was like, if it was like a mental picture, if God, it doesn't say that God physically really showed up to him at this point. It might have been some sort of uh, conscious awareness of God, or it might be God speaking to him in his mind or his heart. I don't know how it worked, but Abraham, no Bible, no context, no nothing. Here's God, and God says, leave your country and go, and, but I'm not telling you we're going to go. Just leave. Everything that you have, leave it all. Abraham obeys. And then he said, and God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you 
children. You're very old. You're very, 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 very old. You're as good as dead, Abraham, and so is your wife. But I'm going to give you children. I know you don't have any children. I know that's a disgrace in, your, in, in, the, in the world that you live in. I know that's a disgrace, being that old and not having kids and errors. But I'm going to give you children. And they're going to be as, look, actually, look at the stars in the sky. They're going to be more as vast as the stars in the sky. I know you're old. I know you don't have kids. I know it's impossible for you to have kids, but I'm going to do it. And then the writer of Hebrews mentions that the w- way that Adam or Abraham responds to God is actually here in chapter in Genesis 15, 6. This is what Abraham said. Abraham heard all this and it says, Abram, his name was Abram before it was Abraham. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed, it says. Believed. Now that word believe in Hebrew is the word amen. Say amen. 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 It's the word amen. Abraham Amen to the Lord. Now, <clears throat> typically, amen is a social cue that, um, that lets everyone know you're done praying or it's time to eat or when the congregation says amen, night service doesn't really do this, but um, uh, that means like the preacher's like, come on, preacher. Like, amen, come on, preach it. Like that sort of thing. That's what, it, that's what amen kind of socially means for us, but that's not what amen really means. Amen is a declaration of trust. That's what the word in Hebrew means, Okay. Amen in Hebrew. It's a declaration of trust. Amen is Abraham saying that he trusts God to bring about what God said that God would do in God's timing. He takes him at his word even when it makes no sense to him. Okay, God, it doesn't make sense that um, I'm really old, my wife's old, and we, we can't have kids, like physically can't have kids, um, but you somehow want to give us kids. Amen. If that's what you want to do, God, do it. I know I'm old. I know my wife's old. I know I'm getting beyond the years of childbearing. I'm not physically possible, but you know what? Amen. And what does that mean? What does amen to God mean? Well, it doesn't mean that Abraham simply believed that God was able to pull it off. Abraham wasn't saying this to God. Well, God, if there's anyone in the universe that can do this, it's probably you. That's not what he's saying at all. Um, believing that God could do something is more of an intellectual belief, which is, has its place, but that's not what's going, what, what is going on here. That's not even what God really requires. There's something deeper and more profound going on here. Abraham's amen to God is not simply a faith that God was able to give him a child. It was trust in God to give him a child. And there is a big difference between those two. Because at this point in the story, Abraham is not saying amen to a creed. He's not saying amen to a system of belief or an intellectual understanding of who God is. He actually has none of that yet. He's saying amen to a person, the person of God. So faith is a who word. Faith, believing is a who word. Trust is a who word. But we, we make faith a that word. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the earth was made in six days? Do you believe that the Red Sea parted, literally? Do you believe that Jesus rose bodily from the dead? Now, are those all important to believe? Absolutely. Those are all important. But even the demons believe those things, James says. Like, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah, so the demons. Oh, all right. What's the difference? Faith is, is a deeper trust in God. It's trust in the person of God. Demons don't trust in the person of God. They don't have faith in the person of God at all. But they believe all those things. They know them to be true. You can have all the right beliefs, but not place your trust in the person of God. 
So faith is trust in God's person. All of those, all these things are important. So faith is not what you believe. Faith is trust in God. Faith is not what you believe. Faith is trust in God. Christian faith is trusting in God, a personal being, rather than an abstract force or a concept of doctrine. Christian faith is a relationship with God, a dynamic trust relationship with the creator of all things, which is why you can become a Christian and place your trust in Christ and still not understand or even fully agree with it all. You can, you can come to faith in Jesus and go, I don't understand um, a lot of Christianity, and I don't understand all the, a lot of this stuff, but I, I can, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to place my trust in you. Maybe you're here, and you've been wrestling with uh, maybe some of the doctrines of the Christian faith, and you're like, I need to figure it all out before I trust in God. And that might, I, I'd say, sometimes you don't even figure it out until you trust in God. Like, the, the, when you, when, uh, trust works regardless of where your thinking happens to be at the moment. Like, this is why you could be married to another human being that you don't always agree with all the time because you trust the other person. God, your relationship with God is like that. Like, I don't understand all this, but I can trust you, and I will trust you. When faith in God is centered on trusting God, even when, even just the, the simple act of trying to trust when you don't feel like trusting becomes a holy endeavor. So when trust at the center, you can be like, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't feel like trusting you, but I'm going to try to trust you. And I will try to live into trust. That, that struggle becomes a holy endeavor because it's centered on trust. It's not like, okay, I need to figure all this out intellectually. Like sometimes you can, and I think that there's a place for that, and it's really, really helpful and good. But trust is something, I think, is something deeper. Second, faith is not just believing in something. Faith is not just believing in something. You can't just say, oh, I have faith because I believe in something. There are plenty of people who feel yoga classes and soul cycle classes who have faith, right? Most people in this city have faith in something. This is a very spiritual town. But biblical faith is not just having sincere belief in something, albeit a, like a God or, a, or fate or higher consciousness or being spiritual or whatever. Some people go, well, that person's a really faith, like that person has a lot of faith, a very faith-filled person. What do they have faith in? Well, they just have a lot of faith in stuff. One of the things I genuinely love about this city is that people are generally spiritually aware and even spiritually intuitive. People will call themselves spiritual in San Francisco or spiritual seekers or spiritual but not religious, I hear a lot. I've met so many of these people who have come to, and visited our church and they'll come up to me afterwards and they usually typically say something like, I love the vibe of this church, like the vibe or, or the energy of this church. Like the energy is like so, it's a very spiritual place. I love, and that's what's cool, that's cool. But here, here's my critique about the spiritual, not religious. I'm spiritual. When faith, your faith, equals just a vague spirituality, here's my critique. It can too easily fit in with complacency, hedonism, and, and into urban elite entitlement and indulgence. It becomes anything that makes you feel good. Like you start taking from everyone, like take from the Christian faith, Buddha, like yoga, soul, like all these things and like quotes on the internet, things on Twitter, like I don't want it all. Like, and you just like kind of make up your own thing and it's the, you kind of like cushion yourself with like, I feel good about my world, my consciousness, my life, what, all this stuff. And you're like, I say things like I find God in nature. Everyone finds God in nature. Like who doesn't find God in nature, right? Like, I, like oh, I, just, I don't go to church, I find God in nature. Like, yeah, because you feel really small when you're in nature. 
and you feel like I'm small and somehow it's beautifully ordered and I feel loved at the same time. Like, of course you feel, like, of co- everyone has that feeling. So you're, you're, you didn't discover something that no one else figured out, okay? So um, faith, that, I think that kind of faith, my critique is this. That kind of faith, and just a thing, that kind of faith doesn't really prepare you to face death. It doesn't prepare you to face destructive patterns of sin in your life. I don't think it constantly and consistently fights things like poverty and opposed injustice. Um, if it does, it does so out of its own, like, I think this is really cool, but not a sense of, uh, like, rooted in Imago Day because there, like, there is no Imago Day if you're like, I just made up my own religion. Like, it's not rooted in, like, anything really, like, the Imago Day, the image of God is in every single person, and, it, and, it, and there should be dignity in every single person. You've just made that up. Unless you have some sort of robust, historic Christian faith that goes, this is where this comes from. Like, you just, you just made that up. Faith in just being spiritual is a make it up as you go, add to it the things that you like or are trendy type of faith that is foreign to what the Bible really teaches about faith. Faith is not just believing in something. Faith is confident action in response to a living God. Faith is confident action in response to a living God. And so when God says every person is made in my image and is to be treated with dignity, you have confident action in, in all of your, like, the, the way that you operate in the world ha- is moving towards what God has said to be true. This is the way I framed humanity. This is the way I framed justice. This is the way I framed marriage and relationships and your soul to work. And you have confident action in moving towards that in response to a living God. Biblical faith is not something you have as much as something you do. Faith is an activity rather than a possession. Faith is an activity rather than a possession. All the things listed here in Hebrews 11 involve a person acting confidently in accordance with what God says. This whole chapter is filled with action. This is like an action-packed chapter. Um, By faith, Abel offered to God a superior sacrifice. Noah built an ark. Abraham obeyed by leaving. Isaac blessed his sons. Moses hid. Moses' parents hid him. Moses left Egypt. Israel passed through the Red Sea. Marched around Jericho for seven days. Rahab hid the spies. And then, if you remember, um, the author starts like freestyling and spits out action words in rapid succession in verses 32-34. He says, they conquered, administered, gained, shut, quenched, escaped, became powerful, and overpowered. Faith is confident and bold action in what God has said. Faith is action. It's not just static belief or cognitive assent. Faith is action in accordance with God's truth. This will involve a level of risk. There's always, I think there's always, even in very simple acts of faith, there's always an element of risk in it. I think there's always an element of risk when you narrow your options. We don't like to narrow our options in San Francisco. I mean, just we're, we're just like, we love to keep our options open. But when you narrow your options like this is, um, I'm narrowing my options to, uh, to following Jesus. I'm narrowing my options to following Jesus in San Francisco and all of this entails. I'm narrowing my options to like, this is what I'll do with my money and this is what I'll do with my body and this is what I'll do with justice. When you start narrowing your options and you're like, because God said this, I'm gonna live into it. There's some risk involved in that. Whether you're ta- taking God at his word about your sexuality, there's risk there. Same with hearing God to step in a new way of serving God. 
Same with asking to pray for someone you feel that you should pray for when you start to feel the Spirit of God leading you. There's risk involved in that, to walk up to someone and say, I think God might be leading me to pray for you. Can I pray for you? There's risk involved there. There's risk involved in living or giving sacrificially. When you start committing yourself to like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start giving sacrificially to, to God's work and living off of the less. That, there, there's a level of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I'll give God something, but I'm not going to give sacrificially. I'm not going to give to it to where I'm like having to have faith that like God's going to come through. That's just crazy. But when you do that, it's, there's a level of risk there. Same with raising a family, a godly family in San Francisco. There's a layer of risk there. When I was called to uh, move from Bakersfield to, to start a, like a church plant residency thing to plant this church, um, my wife and I owned a house in Bakersfield. We had decent jobs. We were like pretty settled. We weren't really looking to move. And then when we started feeling God was calling us to plant a church, I remember laying in bed and waking up at like three or four in the morning and laying there and thinking, should we sell everything and move? Like, um, I was like late 20s. And I'm like, I, 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 when Bakersfield in late 20s, you're like pretty settled. You're like, <laughs> like, I had retirement at the time, like literally had retirement. I, l- I just got retirement like this last year. Um, but before that, I had it for like, like, uh, like 10 years or something like that. Like I'm like, I'm pretty, I think I'm a pretty settled guy. Like I, 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 and, I, and God was like, um, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. And this is what I heard from God. He just said, I always honor faith. What's the thing that, like there's a decision. What decision actually makes you trust me and, and where you're going to like do something that requires faith. And that was when um, we decided, my wife and I decided to move to plant this church. And I, I constantly, uh, when I'm weighing decision, will think, what will require me to trust God? I'm not, I'm not being stupid. I, I bring, bring it before community. Um, I bring it before um, people I trust. But I always, I, I, tr- I try to make decisions like, what's going to require faith here? Faith requires even, even risk to it sometimes. And lastly, third, faith is not. Faith is not uh, name it and claim it. <clears throat> okay, if you don't know what this phrase means, uh, uh, let me break it down for you. There's a, a stream of evangelical Christianity that believes that God wants to give you everything you ask for in Jesus' name. So if you name it, then you can claim it in Jesus' name, right? So health, name it, claim it. Um, husband, like name it, claim it, right? Private jet, like name it, claim it. Like anything, in Jesus' name, like I want, like whatever. Um, in this view, uh, faith acts like a currency. So the more you have, the more stuff you get from God, right? So the more faith you have is like currency, you cash it in. I, I think about, did, did anyone go through when you were, uh, if you grew up in the church, everyone, anyone ever do Awana? Do you guys remember Awana? Anyone? Like a few of you? Okay. I went to Awana one time when I was uh, a neighbor. I didn't grow up in church, so a neighbor brought me. I remember I got a Awana dollar, a Awana buck, you know, the currency. I think I colored something, maybe Joseph. I don't know, remember. But I, I did something. I, I remember getting this thing, and I get to cash in at the Awana store at the end. It's like set up. It looks like, a, like, a, like an arcade sort of gift shop, you know? It's like erasers and like a Bible, like just random stuff. Uh, Kit Kats and stuff like that. And I remember going, oh my gosh, I have like uh, one or two. I can't wait to buy something at this thing. And I think uh, a lot of people think of faith that way. Like if I have enough, if I do enough things to get enough faith, um, then I can cash it in and more good stuff will happen for, for me. So I'm like, I'm cashing in all my faith, God. I have more faith, you're gonna give me more stuff. Now, 
God can and does do some pretty amazing things when you ask him. Absolutely. God, you ask God things and he does, he comes through big time. So yes, God does things like healing and miracles, all that stuff. I'm not saying no to that, any of that. But if the nature of, tr- of faith is trust in the person of God, then we'll trust God even when we don't get what we claim. Our trust in God is not in the stuff God gives, but, do, but, um, but in God, actually in God himself. It's not the stuff, but it's in God. If you take Hebrews 11 as a whole, you'll see this. Uh, faith involves ordinary people in ordinary life, trusting God with the outcome. Hebrews 11, in general, is like faith involved. And I know it looks pretty extraordinary, but let me try to, try to show you a different side to Hebrews 11 to show you that it's pretty actually ordinary people. First of all, ordinary people. We tend to look at this list of, in Hebrews 11 and think that we'll never measure up to this awesome list of people who follow God. Like they were amazing. Like, like they did, I shut the mouths of lions. I'd, I've, never, I've never even shut a mouth of a kitten. Like I just have not, <laughs> just, that's really hard to do, right? So, um, but if you look closely and reflect on it, you'll see that this list of people is a list of broken people very much in process. Um, after the flood, Noah got drunk and laid naked in his tent, <clears throat> which is, was deemed a sin in, the, <clears throat> in, in Genesis. Abraham lied about Sarah. Sarah laughed at God when God said, you're having a child. <clears throat> laughed at him. Isaac lied about Rebekah. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses committed murder. The people of Israel were a bunch of ungrateful complainers that just went through the desert dragging their feet like, oh, I want to go back. Like that whole time like that. Um, Gideon was a doubter. David was an adulterer. And these are all the people listed here. These were actually real people with real flaws, but also had a genuine, genuine faith in God. And, and they're in this list, not because they were perfect, but because they trusted and God worked through their imperfections. They were ordinary people. And actually, Hebrews 11 concerns ordinary life. These acts of faith, if you really boil them down, most of them were simple, ordinary life type stuff that you would have missed if you lived through it yourself with them. It's not that extraordinary. There's actually a lot, most of the, a lot of the stuff is ordinary stuff. We have an offering. Abel gave an offering. That's what he's commended for. So, so Abel is a sheep herder, and he gives God a sheep. And that's what he's commended for. Like, this guy gave. Imagine, like, you're in the Bible because you, get, you, like, you made money, and you gave God money. Like, that's so, so, so simple. This is what Abel's commended for, is that he had sheep, and he gave God one of them. They had one guy building a boat. I mean, it's a, it's a big boat. <laughs> but it's a boat. Like, what did you do? How would you get in the Bible? I built a boat. Like, you just built a boat. Yeah, I just built a boat. Uh, and one guy moved his family, just moved. His, he's in the Bible. He's like, I, I just moved my, God said to move. I just moved. Just really simple stuff. Uh, another one just had a kid. <laughs> then oh, obedience and then offering the kid back to God. And then um, the obedience uh, or, ble- and there's one, of, there's one in here of someone just blessing a kid. Like just laying your hand on him and just blessing him. That's why he's in there for. Blessing a kid. Defying authority. Choosing the mistreatment above pleasure, the keeping of a religious commitment, suffering persecution. This is all very ordinary life type stuff. And I think sometimes we're waiting for our moment. And I, I think what happens is you might not know your moment until only in retrospection. Your moment might have come in um, being faithful to a spouse for 50 years. Uh, your moment might have come in just like being faithful in, 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 your, in your church community. 
being a faithful leader. Um, your moment might have come by being, being like, um, being, like, uh, being chased in San Francisco, being like holy, sexually pure in San Francisco. And that, and that just, just seems really difficult, but really ordinary stuff. And that, that, might, that might get you into like the hall of faith. It's really ordinary stuff. And you won't know that until in, in retro. You're like, we're all waiting for that. I want that moment, that thing that happens. Like, I know God's, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to be in the Bible or whatever. But it's just this simple things. Like God says to move. I want you to go here for, for this reason. Or I might not even tell you the reason. Go here. And you're like, oh, I'll believe you. I'll go. Like, it's just so, it's, it's ordinary life stuff. Faith happens um, in, the, in the ordinary life. Lastly, they, they trusted God with the outcome. Sometimes in this list, the outcome of faith is pretty uh, immediate and amazing. Like, uh, the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. That's pretty cool. Like, they're, they march around the city, and then they blow trumpets, and then walls come down. That's pretty rad. You're like, oh my, if that happened, you would never not believe in God. You're like, we saw the walls come down, right? Um, Abraham uh, having a kid being forever old, Israel passing through the Red Sea on dry ground. That's all big time, immediate, amazing stuff. But we also have not so amazing outcomes. And this is really important because I think we skip over this. Abel, who made that offering, got murdered after he made that offering because he made that offering. Um, the, 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 the chapters seem to turn really dark around chapter, verse 36. It's pretty amazing leading up to 36, right? Those people con- by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery flames. But then you get to verse 36. Like, that's all amazing. You're like, yes, yes, God. Verse 36, some face jeers and flogging. You're like, what? And even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the... Like, you're reading this stuff, and, it, and, and faith also involves being tortured and mocked, and beaten, and destitute, and stoned by, with rocks, and in prison, and generally mistreated, and even mutilated. And this, this right here does not easily fit into, see all the wonderful things God done in my life? Like, that doesn't fit there. Faith is not name it and claim it. Faith is hope in God. Faith is living hope in God, a living hope. Going, God, I trust you, even though I can't control the outcome, even though I might not ever see what you, I believe you told me come to fruition in my life. I might hang on to this promise and then die, but I trust you. I trust you. That's what faith does. Faith holds on even when you're being sawn in two. This is what they are commended for. There's some that never got there. Actually, none of them ever got there. He said, all of these people died before they received the full promise. And this is, this, is the, this is what we, I think this is what we need. This is like going back to the very beginning. Like, how do you learn? Um, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How do you get there? How do you go like, how do you learn that? Where you, you can hang on to God in faith, even though um, everything in your life is crumbling. I think we have to look past everything that you're going through. I think there is, uh, we, I think we miss it in, um, in our very um, um, tactile Western world. We miss the future. There's a life beyond this life. There's a time when God will make all this new and all this right sort of thing. Um, there's a prayer that due to its popularity has become a little cliche, um, sadly. It's called the serenity prayer. prayer. Have you heard the serenity prayer? And it was written by a very famous American theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr. 
And the first part of the prayer, I think we all know. We've, all, we've seen it printed. It's on every, it's everywhere, refrigerators and uh, knitted and hung on walls and that sort of thing. Um, is that what it's called, knitting? What do you think? Cro- crocheting? Whatever. Um, <laughs> if you do that, I don't mean to offend you. So... <laughs> Because I, I know that could be like a hipster thing now, like you're crocheting, so I don't know. Um, but the, the, sec, the second part is of this prayer is like where the money is, like this is like where, where it is, right? Um, and, and this is where I'd like to turn your attention to. But let me read you the whole prayer. The whole prayer is beautiful. The first part, I don't want to take anything away from the first, first part. It's so good. But the second half of this prayer is where the money is. It says this, God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed Courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. That's beautiful. Second half of the prayer. This is it. This is the money. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Someone needs to write that down and put that on something so they're looking at it all the time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Church, you... As we are, um, as our church is fairly young, you have, you, we must learn this. God will make sure that we learn this. He will make sure that you learn this. That the way to peace, and someone uh, older than me and wiser than me said to me recently, uh, Dave, you can't solve your way out of hardship. You only can accept your way out of hardship. You have to accept hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, um, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Uh, this world is broken and sinful, and I will take it as it is. Trusting, and here it is, trusting that you will make all things right. I will take the world as it is, even broken and sinful, taking the, the, the hardship of this world. I'm trusting that you, God, will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. I think we, we get that flipped around. We're like, I want to be supremely happy here, and I could be reasonably happy over there in the next life. Like, eh, it'll be, and that won't be bad. I mean, heaven will be, it won't be bad. It'll be reasonably. But I, I want it to be, like, really happy here. That's just, not, that's just not a biblical concept of faith. The biblical concept of faith is looking forward to a city whose builder and architect is God. Like it's, it's looking forward to go, I can be, if I surrender to God's will in this broken world and accept hardship, I can be reasonably happy in this life and I will be supremely happy with you forever in the next. And so the exhortation at the end of this is then because of this, because of this faith, the things that hinder us in our faith is like uh, the entanglement of sin. So he says, therefore, Lay aside these things that are hindering you. Lay aside sin. There might be ways over the last season of your life because of the hardship that you have been complacent. You have uh, maybe fueled grudges and bitterness, uh, even um, gone to old coping mechanisms, um, old patterns of sin just to deal with life. Um, Tonight, uh, lay those aside. Lay them aside. Just whatever's hindering you tonight, lay it aside. I, um, I would imagine that this can be true of all of us at one level. And I, I, I want to be an authentic enough community to go, yeah, I want to lay aside that and I'll do it in front of my community even though the lights are going to be a bit dim. But, but I, I, w- I won't be afraid to like 
if I'm in the middle of a road, just like, I need to exit the road. I need to come and kneel before God. I need to get prayer. I need to receive communion. I need to deal. Like, I want to lay aside this stuff because it's hindering me. This, this life of faith is the life I want. This life of faith in God is the life I want. That's the life I want for me. So I can be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the next. What keeps us from that is sin that entangles us. So I want to invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus by laying aside your sin. Whatever's hindering you, lay it aside. Whatever decisions you have to make tonight to lay that stuff aside, to do those things, and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for the beauty of um, the church uh, community. I think I've I just been thinking about this all day today. <clears throat> uh, the author of Hebrews right before this says that, um, that we, should, we should not neglect meeting together uh, because we're strengthened and we need to encourage each other so that we're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I think there's something beautiful about coming to church and sitting under your word and seeing uh, our peers and our friends and our community respond to God and sing songs and kneel and receive communion and get prayer. There's something about all this activity happening in one single place that reminds us that we are part of something bigger and we, could, we, we, we can come to you. We can lay down our burdens, our sin, um, our, our junk, our stuff. And we have a God who's compassionate, who's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin to uh, cleanse us from unrighteousness, to set our, our feet on a path that's, uh, that's new and fresh and, and even different than before. And so I ask God that our, our, our time right now would be filled with people of, of faith that we just trust you enough to go to you and respond to you and respond to you uh, genuinely and sincerely, God. There's no need in lying to you, God. It's just, um, it's really silly. You know it all. And so help us to be honest before you as we turn to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.